As we get started, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible located in the Old Testament. If you are a guest today, and this is the first message that you have heard in this series, uh, let me bring you up to speed with what's going on so that you can kind of stay, uh, stay in tune with, with what we've got going on right now. We're spending several months taking a deep dive into uh, this very important book of Scripture. The book of Deuteronomy was written um, by a guy named Moses. The word Deuteronomy actually means second law or repetition of the law. And in this book, Moses reviews the law originally given at Mount Sinai that we read about in Exodus and Leviticus, and he applies it to the life of the Israelites as they are beginning to enter into the promised land. Deuteronomy uh, serves kind of as almost a farewell address by Moses as he is entering into the final stretch of his earthly life. And the whole point of this letter is that obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings hardships. Moses is encouraging the Israelites to make wise decisions, to, to strive, as we say a lot here around Hillcrest, to become more like Christ. And, and from this letter, we receive the same charge, the same urging of obedience for the glory of God. So that's a little background on what's happening here in the book. So beginning in Deuteronomy 5, we see Moses bringing forth the Ten Commandments before the Israelites again. Now, last week, Pastor Jim did a great job of kind of giving us this a broad intro to these commandments and some really important reminders for us to apply to our lives. And as he said last week, we're going to spend the next 10 weeks walking through each of these commandments. And so this morning, we are going to focus in on verses 6 and 7 and study the very first commandment that God gave that says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, before we dive in, I want to share a resource with you that I believe will be very beneficial for you uh, over these next few weeks as we're studying these Ten Commandments. This book is called Ten Words to Live By. Uh, it's by Jen Wilkin. Uh, several months ago, our, our nearlywed and newlywed groups went through this, um, this resource, as did our college students and our young professionals. Uh, matter of fact, this is one of the resources I used in preparing this message. It's a great resource that is gonna partner very well as we walk through these 10 commandments. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and pull out your cell phones right now. I know this is opposite of what we tell you in church all the time. Pull your phones out right now, okay? And then open up your camera. Is everyone doing this? Got your camera open? Got your phones out, camera open? Now here's what I want you to do. Flip the camera around and I want you to take a selfie with the person that you're sitting next to. Unless you don't know the person, then don't do that. It's a little creepy. Okay, but if you know that person, take a quick selfie, and here's why I want you to do that. Because what I want you to do is then in, in some time, not right now, but later today, post that on social media and invite someone to come sit beside you next week, right? I want you to hashtag it, come to Hillcrest, so we can all look at your pictures, okay? Now that you have your camera open, it's still open, you've taken your picture, flip it back around, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to click on this QR code that's up on the screen. If you are watching at home, this should be on your screen as well. I want you to click on, I want you to hold your camera up to this QR code. There'll be a link that pops up. Click that link, it's gonna open up to Amazon and you need to put this book in your cart and order it later today, 
All right, it's gonna take you right there. I, I believe in this that much. It's going to be a great resource for you. If you don't have an Amazon account, I really wanna talk to you. My mother texts me this week and says, hey, I'm trying to order you guys something um, online. Can I just Venmo you the money? I was like, no, mom, just buy it on Amazon. I don't have an account, she says. How do you, how do you not have an Amazon account? I feel like I failed her as a son. Anyway, so uh, order this. It's gonna be great. All right, now, put your phones away. Let's get in God's word. Here we go. Barna did a survey once and found that three out of four people, 75% of people say that they are completely true. They hold completely true to the first commandment. 75%. Interestingly enough, I think if we were being completely honest with ourselves, I think that we would all admit to having some of these same thoughts when, when talking specifically about the Ten Commandments. Yes, we would admit to struggling with sins, many various sins in our lives, but for these ten, for the most part, we would say, you know what, I'm doing a pretty good job at holding tight to this one. Right, I, I'm, I mean, I, I haven't murdered anyone. I, I haven't cheated on my wife. I'm content with God, what God has given me. So, you know, check. My hope and my prayer is that through these weeks of studying these commandments, we will all be reminded how desperate we are for the gospel and what an amazing gift that we've been given through Jesus. So today, as we dive into Deuteronomy 5, verses six and seven, we're gonna focus on three truths. We're gonna look at a fact to know, a question to answer, and a commitment to keep. Now let's begin by reading our main text this morning. Deuteronomy 5, verses six and seven. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now from this commandment, we first see a fact to know, and it's this. Everyone has a God. Everyone has a God. Don't miss how Moses begins his resharing of these commandments. You see, for Jewish people, Moses was larger than life. He was, he was the deliverer, their, their national founding father, the lawgiver. In, in many ways, he was the architect of their faith. He was kind of like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Billy Graham all wrapped up into one person. And through the miraculous hand of God, through 10 different plagues, Moses had been able to deliver Israel from their slavery in Egypt. But not from their slavery to idolatry and unbelief. And so as a result, he begins in verse six by reminding the Israelites of the anointed rescue that they had experienced. A kind of like a brief history lesson of sorts. Why begin this way? He begins this way because before Israel can pledge her allegiance to God alone, she must recall her costly deliverance. That deliverance entailed not just leaving the land of Egypt, but leaving behind the ways of Egypt. You see, each of the 10 plagues was more than just a dramatic sign to Pharaoh that he must release the Israelites. 
Each of these plagues was a symbolic defeat of an Egyptian deity, an Egyptian god. For, for instance, the Egyptian god, Haket, was the god of fertility, the god of water, the god of renewal. The interesting thing about Haket is that this god had the head of a frog. And as a result, Egyptians regarded frogs as sacred and not to be killed. And in the second plague, God slayed them by the thousands. Then you have the god Apis, whose bloodstream was believed to be the Nile, who bleeds out when God turns the Nile to blood in the very first plague. In the ninth plague, God dropped three days of darkness on the land, which was showing his supreme power over the Egyptian god, Ray, also worshiped as the sun god. The Egyptian goddess known as Sekhmet had, had supposed power over disease, yet is rendered defeated with the sixth plague of boils over the men and the animals throughout the land. Now we could go and, and we could tell detailed stories about each one of these 10 plagues and through that you will see Hathor who is the, the goddess with a cow head destroyed by the death of livestock. You would see the god of desert storms, his name was Seat, defeated through gnats. You will, you will see the god Uachit who was represented by the fly, devastated devastated through the plague of flies. The sky goddess, Nit, devastated by the storm of hell. Osiris, the god of crops, standing no chance against the plague of locusts. And last but not least, the firstborn son of Pharaoh was also considered a god. And the 10th and final plague showed God's supreme lordship over all, demonstrating his power over life and death. One God toppling all rivals. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The, the message to the Israelites is clear. Before you can obey me as the God of the 10 commandments of life, you must revere me as the God of the 10 plagues of death. And, and the results and the response here is obvious, right? If the God who toppled all rivals in Egypt has brought you out of Egypt by his mighty outstretched arm, then the only logical response is to obey this first commandment of you shall love, you shall have no other gods before me. He's saying remember your costly deliverance and you pledge allegiance to God alone. And friends, that same message is screaming at us today. And if you are here this morning and you would proclaim that you indeed are a follower of Jesus, then you cannot lose sight of your costly deliverance. Because you see, in our postmodern culture, we don't call our gods by names anymore, but we admire many of the same gods. Now, how can a person know what God they have? 
Martin Luther said it this way, your God is whatever you run to for refuge in your time of need. Whatever is the central reference point of your life, that's your God. Listen to this quote from David Foster Wallace. He says, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for, for, reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you end up feeling weak and afraid and you will uh, need even more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is this, they're unconscious. They are default settings. Names or no names, everyone has a God. Everyone has a God. Which points us to our second truth this morning, which is this, a question to answer. Do I have the right God? This, this past week, April and I went to a concert in Birmingham and before the concert, we found this little Italian restaurant that we were having dinner at. Um, side note, some of the best spaghetti I've ever eaten. Um, but while we were eating dinner, I overheard a conversation between our waitress and the people sitting in the table beside us. And she was referencing her, her male coworker who was standing there with her. She kept calling her, him her work husband. Oh, this is my work husband. And I just started thinking about what would their real husband and real wife, how would they feel about that statement? Because you see, as a husband, I really can't think of a scenario where I would be cool with April referencing some other dude as her husband. Like I can't, I can't come up with that solution. Like why does that make sense? And, here, and why is that? Because there's no such thing as dual allegiance in marriage. And, and listen, I, I understand the joke behind the phrase. I understand. I, li I like to laugh like constantly. I understand the joke behind it. But let me tell you something. That's dangerous. Dual allegiance doesn't work in anything. And, the, and this truth this truth is what drives this first commandment we are studying this morning. Like there can be no dual allegiances when it comes to serving God. And, and maybe that seems obvious. You see, for Israel, God had just routed his greatest enemy and put their non-existent gods to shame. But the truth that there is only one God to be worshiped needed to be settled deep into the bones of the people of Israel. And the same is true for us. But unfortunately, God's people then and God's people today, we forget quickly. We're reminded of this truth early in the Bible, in the, in the life of Jacob. 
You can read Jacob's story beginning in Genesis 25. His, his life was filled full of highs and lows. We, we know what that feels like. We, we know what it's like to live through highs and lows. But in Genesis chapter 35, we begin to see a new season for Jacob, this, a season of cleansing and, and renewal. You see, we are told earlier in Genesis 31 that, that Jacob was supposed to return to, to Bethel and he doesn't immediately obey. He lingered in his obedience. But in, in Genesis 35, we, we see Jacob finally fulfilling his vow to the Lord. And, and this is the first thing that he says. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave to Jacob all of the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears and Jacob hid them underneath the, the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Dual allegiance. The presence of idols among Jacob's family points to the operation of a both and mentality. Yes, we will serve God but also, just in case, we're going to offer devotion to these other gods as well. Now, can, you, can you relate to that? You see, this, this mentality, it hides in the baggage of believers today, just as it did with Jacob's family then. It's what James 1.8 refers to as divided loyalty. This occurs not because we replace God, but because we add to God. You know, many times it looks like this in our lives. Verbally and intellectually, we affirm there are no other gods. But practically, we live as polytheists. In other words, we elevate something else to the level of God, so it becomes a both and situation. I need God and I need a spouse. I, I need God and I also would like a bigger bank account. Right, I, I need God, but also need acceptance from other people. The, the problem with this is just like the dual allegiance will not work in your marriage, it will not work with God either. Because we were created for single-minded allegiance. We were made in the image of one God, to bear the image of one God. And we cannot conform to both the image of God and the image of an idol. And when we cling to God and blank, we become, as what the, as what the rest of James 1.8 says, unstable in everything we do. You see, Jacob finds his family in this spot and through his repentance, we learn really kind of what our response should be when we see this present in our lives. Verse four, so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree near Shechem. Other translations, your translation may say that Jacob buried them underneath the tree at Shechem. Notice here, Jacob could have destroyed these idols any way he decided to. He could have burned them. He could have destroyed them. He, it, 
fill in the blank on ways that he could have destroyed them, but there's something beautiful that's happening here that I want you to miss. You see, back in Genesis 12, God calls a man named Abram. He calls him to leave everything and, and to follow him. And on this journey, Abram stops in Canaan and he has an encounter with God. And it's during this encounter that God tells Abram, hey, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. And at that spot, Abram built an altar to the Lord and cared to guess where that altar was built. By the oak tree in Shechem. But over the years, this altar had been corrupted by idol worship. So Jacob determined to put the past behind him and live in the truth that God is his only hope, symbolically holds a funeral for the idols in the very place that they were typically worshiped. In other words, for us, the place for idol worship becomes a burial ground for it. You see, this is personal to me, and I'm sure that all of you could identify with this, right? There was a time in my life when I would tell you that I was a follower of Jesus. But the problem with that is my following only went as far as my mouth could speak it because my life did not reflect that truth. Because for me, my God, my both and, my and was a God of acceptance. I needed to be accepted. I desired to be accepted by anyone and everyone and I would sacrifice just about anything to gain that acceptance. And, and so because of this desire, I found myself as like, I would, I would drink whatever alcohol was needed to be accepted by this group of people. And then I would, I would do whatever type of drugs I needed to do to be accepted by this group of people. And then I would cuss out, I would tear down whoever I needed to to be accepted by this group of people. And you know what it got me? Absolutely Nothing. It landed me in a pit of loneliness because the alcohol and the drug could only carry me so far because attempting to serve God and something else never works. And, and I remember finally coming to a place of complete surrender and, and God used several different methods, including a car wreck that I was told I should never have lived through. The Lord broke me down, but I remember vividly coming to that place saying, okay, God, I understand and I'm done trying to act like you, and instead of me trying to control things, I'm gonna let you control my life. The problem is, I didn't know what to do next. Okay, God, I'm giving you my life. Now what? So I did the only thing I knew to do. I would cling to anything spiritual I could find. And so instead of going out to a party on Saturday nights, I watched Bill Gaither homecomings on TV. Some of you are like, who's Bill Gaither? He wrote half the hymnals, okay? Um, I, I, that's, it was the only spiritual thing I could find on TV. So I would just watch Bill Gaither homecomings on repeat on Saturday nights. It's the only thing I could find to point me to Jesus. But let me tell you something. I'm so thankful for Bill Gaither. But I'm even more thankful for a God who gave me another chance and a God who refined me during that time. But don't miss what I'm saying to you. I had to put to death the God of acceptance because trying to serve both did not and will not ever 
work. See, to rid ourselves of idols, we must put them to death. God is a jealous God and will not share his throne, which leads us to our final truth that we're gonna explore this morning, and that's a commitment to keep. And that commitment is this, God deserves first place. God deserves first place. And friends, this is the point of this first commandment. It is the reason that it is the first commandment. You see, God deserves first place. You shall have no other gods before me. This first commandment calls for an entire lifestyle dominated by a living relationship with God. Because of who God is, the living God, the true God, because God is unique, unequaled, incomparable, unrivaled, he deserves first place in our lives. And only when we place God in that first place will our career be meaningful. Only when that happens will we be the spouse and the parent that our family needs us to be. Only then will we be able to serve the church. Only then will we be able to live life as it was meant to be lived. You see, our number one task as followers of Jesus in the world today is to make sure nothing comes between us and our single-hearted love for God. See, don't miss this. This first commandment, it prepares us for the other nine commandments to follow by demanding our undivided allegiance to the God of our costly deliverance. As Jen Wilkins says, without that pledge on our lips and in our hearts, all obedience to the commands that follow will be an exercise in empty moralism. The first commandment is a pledge of allegiance to the kingdom of God here and now. Jesus echoed this same truth in Mark 12 when he was asked by the scribes which commandment was the most important. Jesus answered, said the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. When you love something with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you love that thing supremely. Humanly speaking, we would probably compare this type of love to that of which we have for our spouse uh, and or our, our children. But let me, let me ask you a question. Why would we say we love those closest to us with such a fierce love? Why do we love those closest to us with such intensity? It's because we've spent time investing and learning about them. Like, you didn't just walk by your wife in Target one day and instantly know her better than she knows herself. Like, you didn't just, that didn't just happen. Like, you, when your children, your children weren't just born and you immediately know what their favorite snack is. No, it, it, it takes time and it takes investment. And, and the parallel here is, is obvious. If we are going to love the Lord supremely, if we are going to have no other gods before him, then we have got to take time to invest into our relationship with him. And the quickest and most effective way 
to invest into your relationship with Jesus, to open this up and actually read it. Like, don't overcomplicate this. Lead your family to do the same. Just last week, my family and I were having a time of family worship. And this summer, we've kind of decided, this is kind of the first summer we've done this, but each of us are kind of doing separate studies, but we try to come together and do the studies together. And it doesn't always work out that way, but you know, we try. And on this particular day, I was reading in my Bible reading plan, I was in First Chronicles uh, chapter 28, and I was reading through verses nine and 10, and, and this is when David's kind of coming to the end of his life, and he is charging his son Solomon as the new king. And as I read these verses, I immediately thought of my sons. And so I called Hollis and Merrick into the living room, and I set them down, I said, hey, listen to this. I just, want you, I just wanted to share with you guys what, what God just laid on my heart. And so I sat them down and I read these words. And you, Solomon, my son, and I, I replaced their names. I said, and you, Hollis, my son, and you, Merrick, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. And if you seek him, Hollis, if you seek him, Merrick, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Now, what, what I'm telling you in this is, is simply put, if I'm not in the word of God, then I miss an opportunity to A, deepen my relationship with Jesus, but I also miss an opportunity to speak biblical truth into the hearts of my sons. You see, my sons and my wife, they should be able to be the first people to tell you that Dustin has no other gods before the Lord, my God. As my Bible reading plan so eloquently put it this past week, it's Yahweh or the highway for the Scott family. <laughs> it's just that important. Because friends, listen, there is coming a day when single-minded and wholehearted allegiance will be fully restored. You see, in heaven, we will at last have no other gods before him. John describes it this way in Revelation 21. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, and the fourth emerald. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. And as we close this morning, I just want to, I want to read you one of the concluding paragraphs from chapter one in this 10 words to live by book. It says all of these elements, gold, precious stones, the celestial bodies, rulers, crowns, these are what humans throughout history have worshiped, the stuff of dual allegiances, 
These are the idols of this world. The new Jerusalem is a first is last place where the things that we have exalted will be cast down to the level of their real worth as mere metal and stone, as mere human authority, as mere created lights that move at the command of their creator. It is a place where precious metals and stones are trodden underfoot as common road dust, where our crowning personal honors are cast at God's feet, where the people and objects and institutions to which we have ascribed our worship will fall from their lofty places. It is a place whose inhabitants at last obey the first word that you shall have no other gods before me. Church, why would we wait until the next life to count as worthless what God has counted as worthless? Why wait until the next life to esteem what God esteems? You see, today is the day for destroying and burying our idols of power and wealth and security and comfort. And so as we close, I ask you this question, is God in the right place in your life? Is there a both and? Is there just an and and not a God? Have you given your life to Jesus? Like that's first, right? If you would say to me, no, I've not done that, like that's gotta be step number one is to make him the God of your life. But for others of you in here, you would say, yeah, I've done that, but also I've let things slip in. I would say to you, choose this day whom you will serve. 